Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Too soon, for our remaining cask of water was well nigh exhausted. We lost no time in replenishing our casks and continued to sail farther up the river when the wind was favorable. So something I want to mention here. I think a lot of people think that as you get up to the North Pole that the way that the maps are and the way that it looks on Earth that it looks like it's a very tiny area. When in reality, if you consider the size of things like Lake Ontario or other large bodies, which are really, on a map, quite tiny bodies, they are tremendous tremendous size areas of water uh, you could be out on them and think that you're out on an ocean you could be out and not see land for days or weeks just like you're on the ocean and so within the interior of the pole there at the part where the rivers rush into that inward that inner sea that northern inner sea that northern inner sea could be a huge body of water and you would have you know being a sailor not knowing where you are there you would easily still think that you're out on the main ocean. The discovery came none too soon. All the banks, great forests, miles in extent could be seen stretching away on the shoreline. The trees were of enormous size. We landed after anchoring near a sandy beach and waded ashore, and were rewarded by finding a quantity of nuts that were very palatable and satisfying to hunger, and a welcome change from the monotony of our stock of provisions. So they found food there. It was about the first September, over five months, we calculated, since our leave-taking from Stockholm. Suddenly, we were frightened almost out of our wits by hearing in the far distance the singing of people. Very soon thereafter, we discovered a huge ship gliding down the river directly toward us. Those aboard were singing in one mighty chorus that, echoing from bank to bank, sounded like a thousand voices, filling the whole universe with quivering melody. The accompaniment was played on stringed instruments not unlike our harps. It was a larger ship than any we had ever seen and was differently constructed. Asiatic Mythology, Paradise Found, translation by Sace in a book called Records of the Past, we are told of a dwelling which the gods created for the first human beings, a dwelling in which they become great and increased in numbers, and the location of which is described in words exactly corresponding to those of the Iranian Indian Chinese Edaic and Aztec literature, namely, in the center of the earth, from Warren. At this particular time, our sloop was becalmed, and not far from the shore. The bank of the river, covered with mammoth trees, rose up several hundred feet in beautiful fashion. We seemed to be on the edge of some primeval forest that doubtless stretched far inland. 
The immense craft paused, and almost immediately a boat was lowered, and six men of gigantic stature rowed to our little fishing sloop. They spoke to us in a strange language. We knew from their manner, however, that they were not unfriendly. They talked a great deal among themselves, and one of them laughed immoderately, as though in finding us a queer discovery had been made. One of them spied our compass, and it seemed to interest them more than any other part of our sloop. Finally, the leader motioned as if to ask whether we were willing to leave our craft to go on board their ship. "'What say you, my son?' asked my father. "'They cannot do any more than kill us.' "'They seem to be kindly disposed,' I replied. "'Although what terrible giants! "'They must be the select six of the King's crack regiment. "'Just look at their great size.' "'We may as well go willingly, as be taken by force,' said my father, smiling, "'for they are certainly able to capture us.' "'Thereupon he made note by signs that we were ready to accompany them. "'Within a few minutes we were on board the ship.' and a half an hour later our little fishing craft had been lifted bodily out of the water by a strange sort of hook and tackle, and set on board as a curiosity. There were several hundred people on board this, to us mammoth ship, which we discovered was called the Nas, meaning, as we were afterward learned, pleasure, or, to give a better interpretation, pleasure excursion ship. If my father and I were curiously observed by the ship's occupants, the strange race of giants offered us an equal amount of wonderment. Speaking of giants, in some of the other documents that I found, there is another new reference that I've never seen before, where there's a place in Europe, they dug up a, a giant's grave and actually found it. 25 foot tall human, with 10 foot wide shoulders. So, later, at some point, I'll provide that reference. There was not a single man aboard who would not have been measured fully 12 feet in height. They all wore full beards, not particularly long, but seemingly short-cropped. They had mild and beautiful faces, exceedingly fair, with ruddy complexions. The hair and beard of some were black, others sandy, and still others yellow. The captain, as we designated the dignitary in command of the great vessel, was fully a head taller than any of his companions. The women averaged from ten to eleven feet in height. Their features were especially regular and refined, while their complexion was of a most delicate tint heightened by a healthful glow. According to all procurable data, that spot at the era of man's appearance upon the stage was in the now lost Miocene continent, which then surrounded the Arctic Pole. That in that true original Eden, some of the early generations of men attained to a stature and longevity unequaled in any countries known to post-Diluvian history is by no means scientifically incredible. William Warren, Paradise Found. Both men and women seem to possess that particular ease of manner, which we deem a sign of good breeding, and notwithstanding their huge statures, there was nothing about them suggesting awkwardness. As I was a lad in only my nineteenth year, I was doubtless looked upon as a true Tom Thumb. My father's six foot three did not lift the top of his head above the waistline of these people. Each one seemed to vie with the others in extending courtesies and showing kindness to us. But all laughed heartily, I remember, when they had to improvise chairs for my father and myself to sit at table. They were richly attired in a costume peculiar to themselves and very attractive. The men were clothed in handsomely embroidered tunics of silk and satin and belted at the waist. They wore knee breeches and stockings of a fine texture, while their feet were encased in sandals adorned with gold buckles. We early discovered that gold was one of the most common metals known, and that it was used extensively in decoration. Strange as it may seem, 
Neither my father nor myself felt the least bit of solicitude for our safety. We have come into our own, my father said to me. This is the fulfillment of the tradition told me by my father and my father's father, and still back for many generations of our race. This is, assuredly, the land beyond the north wind. We seemed to make such an impression on the party that we were given specially into the charge of one of the men, Jules Galdia and his wife, for the purpose of being educated in their language, and we, on our part, were just as eager to learn as they were to instruct. At the captain's command, the vessel was swung cleverly about and began retracing its course up the river. The machinery, while noiseless, was very powerful. The banks and trees on either side seemed to rush by. The ship's speed at, t at times surpassed that of any railroad train on which I have ever ridden, at, even here in America. It was wonderful. In the meantime, we had lost sight of the sun's rays, but we found a radiance within emanating from the dull red sun which had already attracted our attention, now giving out a white light, seemingly from a cloud bank far away in front of us. It dispensed a greater light, I should say, than two full moons on the clearest night. In twelve hours, this cloud of whiteness would pass out of sight as if eclipsed, and the twelve hours following corresponded with our night. We early learned that these strange people were worshippers of this great cloud of night. It was the smoky god of the inner world. The ship was equipped with a mode of illumination which I now presume was electricity, but neither my father nor myself at the time were sufficiently skilled in mechanics to understand whence came the power to operate the ship or to maintain the soft, beautiful lights that answered the same purpose of our present methods of lighting the streets of our cities, our houses, and our places of business. It must be remembered, the time of which I write was the autumn of 1829, and we of the outside surface of the earth knew nothing then, so to speak, of electricity. The electricity surcharged condition of the air was a constant vitalizer. I never felt better in my life than during the two years my father and I sojourned on the inside of the earth. To resume my narrative of events, the ship on which we were sailing came to a stop two days after we had been taken on board. My father said as nearly as he could judge we were directly under Stockholm or London. The city we had reached was called Jehu, signifying a seaport town. The houses were largely and beautifully constructed, and quite uniform in appearance, yet without sameness. The principal occupation of the people appeared to be agriculture. The hillsides were covered with vineyards, while the valleys were devoted to the growing of grain. I never saw such a display of gold. It was everywhere. The door casings were inlaid, and the tables were veneered with sheetings of gold. Domes of the public buildings were of gold. It was used most generously in the finishings of the great temples of music. Vegetation grew in lavish exuberance, and fruit of all kinds possessed the most delicate flavor. Clusters of grapes four and five feet in length, each grape as large as an orange, and apples larger than a man's head, typified the wonderful growth of all things on the inside of the earth. The great redwood trees of California would be considered mere underbrush compared with the giant forest trees extending for miles and miles in all directions. In many directions along the foothills of the mountains, vast herds of cattle were seen during the last day of our travel on the river. So ordinarily when you're hearing this story, you'd be picturing, and the pictures shown, would be of a hollow ball earth, which is... It just looks and seems ludicrous, aside from our knowledge of the fact that the Earth is flat. So while you're thinking of this and while you're watching, don't think of it as being in the inside of the ball. Think of it as that you've gone down inside of the Earth 
inside of caves inside the earth and that this is where he's finding these things we heard much of a city called Eden but we were kept at Jehu for an entire year by the end of that time we had learned to speak fairly well the language of the strange race of people our instructor Jules Galdia and his wife exhibited a patience that was truly commendable one day an envoy from the ruler at Eden came to see us and for two whole days my father and myself were put through a series of surprising questions they wished to know from whence we came, what sort of people dwelt without, and what god we worshipped, our religious beliefs, the mode of living in our strange land, and a thousand other things. The compass which we had brought with us attracted special attention. My father and I commented between ourselves on the fact that the compass still pointed north, although we now knew that we had sailed over the curb or over the edge of the earth's aperture, and were far along southward on the inside of the surface of the earth's crust. See again. They just misunderstand where they were, which, according to my father's estimate, my own, is about 300 miles from the inside to the outside. It's no thicker than an eggshell. There's almost as much surface on the inside as the outside. The great luminous cloud, or a ball of dull red fire, fiery red in the mornings and evenings, and during the day giving off a beautiful white light, the smoky god, is seemingly suspended in the center of the great vacuum within the earth and held to its place by the immutable or immutable law of gravitation or a repellent atmospheric force as the case may be i refer to the known power that draws or repels with equal force in all directions so again at this time they just don't understand what they're seeing nor do i if there's some sort of a light source down there how am i to say how it functions but we'll see later what this gets into the base of this electrical cloud or central luminary the seat of the gods is dark and non-transparent save for innumerable small openings seemingly in the bottom of the great support or altar of the deity upon which the smoky god rests and the lights shining through these many openings twinkle at night in all their splendor and seem to be stars as natural as the stars we see shining when we're at home in Stockholm excepting that they appear larger the smoky god, therefore, with each daily revolution of the earth, appears to come up in the east and go down in the west, the same as our sun does, on the surface. In reality, the people within believe that the smoky god is the throne of their Jehovah, and is stationary, the effect of night and day, therefore, produced by the earth's daily rotation. So is that his interpretation or theirs? I have since discovered that the language of the people of the inner world is much like that of Sanskrit. After we had given an account of ourselves to the emissaries from the central seat of government of the inner continent, and my father had, in his crude way, drawn maps at their request of the outside surface, showing the divisions of land and water and giving the name of each of the continents, large islands and the oceans. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.